Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Do you like women's history? Do you like wine? Well, you are in the right place because welcome to another episode of Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime best friends chat about women from history you probably have never heard of while sharing a bottle of wine. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. This is episode 49. I know. Next one is 50 and our one year and we are freaking the fuck out you guys. I know some people are probably like wait that math doesn't add up. There's 52 weeks in a year. Yeah, we took a two-week hiatus because she got sick and then I got sick. So 50 is our two uh, is our one year. Yeah, and you know what? I kind of like that better because right? 50 it's seems nice, like a nice big number. number. 52 is a weird number. Right. 50 but, is a good, like, solid halfway to 100. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll always be there. Right. Maybe we'll just always take a two-week hiatus. I, I've heard then, a lot of podcasts know. doing that, doing the hiatus. Yeah, I, they do, like, seasons. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see how we feel. Yeah. We'll see if we feel like we've earned it. Right. Or maybe our bodies will just force us to take yeah. a break. Like we'll both I've, get sick again. I've got the crud right now and uh, I'm doing better than Luckily, I was it's yesterday. Like, it's not voice crud. Like you sound fine. Yeah. When I actually went back and listened to that episode where I was recovering from having lost my voice completely because yeah. I was coughing so hard. And first of all, I sound like shit. And second of all, you can hear the crinkling of cough drops yeah, I know. and wrappers through the entire episode. And I'm so sorry, you guys. I don't even remember who you I covered. Us, I just right? remember being sick as shit. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I've ever been like too sick on our podcast. I think there was like one or two that I kept coughing in the background, but I think you probably cut that out. So you guys have no you guys idea. Have no idea how you I have cough. no idea how much we cough and sniffle. And I sniffle all the time. I'm sure Emily like sometimes do. is like, God damn it, Kelly, because I know my husband gets super annoyed at me. He'll be like, Go take an allergy pill, and I'll be like, But we're in the middle of something. And try to be really nice, but yeah. <laughs> No, Kelly, it's fine. I love no, cutting all those out. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the joy of being allergic to dogs and having three of them. Well, before we get started, I do have a say their name. And this one is a little old because I saved the article and then proceeded to forget completely about forget yeah, about it. Fine. Well, my brain was like, no, 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 you saved the article. You did the thing you needed to do. Right. And then your it's brain's like, done. you're fine. Check mark. So um, this is from January 19th of this year oh, 2020 i thought you were gonna say january 2019 i was gonna be like you saved this before we even had a podcast january 1989 <laughs> but this is a local story Ooh. uh so the headline is saint paul fires sarah reasoner finishes fifth out of nine in world's strongest firefighter so apparently there is a competition across the nation for the world's strongest, wait, fi- actually, it not even no, be nation. It no, it'd be, be international. Yeah. You're right. It, it it was in California, so I just assumed that America so, is but the like only men thing. and women compete together. Or yes, is it, oh, it is oh, men and women that's even compete. more impressive. Okay, so there's this competition uh, where different firefighters get to enter and compete for yeah, the sure, strongest you know, fire, and I'm sure they do like firefightery stuff. All right, so. Sarah Reasoner of the St. Paul Fire Department was in California competing for the title of World's Strongest Firefighter, and she was the only woman in the contest, wow. according to the department. So this article is from uh, ABC5 News, local, local shit. Yeah. yeah, Citing my sources, doing a great job with it. 
So according uh, to Arnold Sports, the organizers behind the contest, Reasoner finished in fifth place in a field of nine firefighters. Quote, I will never forget today. The support and love from everyone was unreal. She also said that Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the sidelines cheering her on. That's pretty impressive or pretty cool. Yeah, I'll never forget at Schwarzenegger, because this is an Instagram post, because that's how we get news now, getting up and yelling at me and helping me up after the sandbag carry her post read. So yeah, she's a, she's a female firefighter in St. Paul who competed in this, and as the only woman, got fifth That's super place. cool. That's super cool. I'm, I'm really jazzed. And there are some pictures. I'm going to show you one. But I'll, I can throw that on our blog, too. Just we'll... We'll start throwing. I never do, but I'll, we'll start throwing our say their names up there. Yeah. So this is a picture of her doing a deadlift. She is, she is ripped GI. as fuck. I like the, the random dude in the background who's who also has super ripped arms. So I'm assuming he's one of the other competitors. He but looks like, like com- he's dropping compared it. <laughs> to her. Like he just looks like meh. He looks like a, a dude. Just yeah. like a, just a normal dude. dude. Yeah. yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. Kind of, He looks kind of chubby. But yeah. yeah. You can see his forearms are checked. But no, she is ripped as shit. She like good. She could rip me in half like a Kleenex. Oh, yeah. Like she's Probably. so powerful. And then here's one of her in her fire uniform just looking professional Aww. as yeah, fuck. Yeah. And like you can't tell she's ripped under that. Yeah. That's impressive. That's good but job. But that's super Who's cool. Who's name with Sarah? Sarah Reasoner, yeah. Sarah Reasoner. Sarah. We're very proud of you. Say her name. Sarah the firefighter, carry me out of that burning building in your strong biceps of magic. Emily has a weird thing with singing lately. <laughs> so expect it on every episode from here on out. I feel like I sing on this podcast a lot. And then I realized I actually sing in my real life a lot. Like I sing to my dogs constantly. I'm just No, like, I do too. I think I think the only place I don't sing is at work and on oh, this yeah. podcast. <laughs> I sing to my dogs like, you're too cute to understand the level of magic you possess because your heads would explode from the realization of your power. Does Jared think you're weird for singing to your dogs? Because Justin thinks I'm weird for singing to my dogs. He does, but he loves me for it. I'm like Linda from Bob's Burgers where I'm just singing about shit constantly and it's a disaster. I mainly sing to our, 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 our littlest dog, Tiny Pug. Especially when I want her to like do things, because I'll be like, "We're taking a bath, tiny pug." <laughs> I can't remember. I came up with this whole like bath song for her, and I haven't given her a bath in so long that I don't remember what it is. Oh my god! Well, when you, I'll share you it her- with you when I remember. I was gonna say, remember it for our one year episode, and then sing it. Jeez, oh, that's a lot of pressure. I'm gonna talk about our wine now. All right, we haven't done that yet. So Speaking today, of tiny pug, she's losing her fucking mind outside. So today we are drinking a Montoyo Monterey Pinot Noir. Is it Montoya? Yeah, Montoya. I thought you said Montoyo. Montoya. Montoya. I know she was hoping for an ego. Well, it is oh, of an indigo color. Yes, I made an indigo joke before we started recording and I was like, I might still make it. Kelly can't let me have fun. But I made the correct joke because it's not indigo, it's anigo. No, no, I say indigo. <laughs> I say indigo, you say anigo. I say potato, you say potato. Let's call the whole thing off. Thank you so much for joining us for our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> one one year, or one, one episode short of one year. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> All right, so this says, Montoya wines capture the breathtaking beauty and vibrant spirit of the Monterey Coast. Cool Pacific Ocean breezes and plenty of sunshine produce Pinot Noir grapes brimming with juicy blackberry and raspberry 
fruit flavors, not flute fr- flavors. They Ex- taste kind of metallic, you know, a little coppery, yeah, you know, like uh, old silver. spit. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Extended skin maceration during fermentation and aging in oak barrels lends a silky richness and complexity to our Pinot Noir. Mm. No, I'm excited. This Contains is a pretty bottle. Oh. I'm pretty sure every single wine says that. Does it have the government warning where women can't drink wine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. According to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic be- during pregnancy. The, it's always like on the next line, though. No, this one's not. This one's on the same okay. line. I just paused for emphasis. I I think we all know what the government's trying to right. tell us. They're like women. Don't do it. Yes. All right. Well, what are we cheersing to today? It was cheers. just my birthday. Yeah, it's Emily's birthday. Yeah, I'm officially 29, so I'm going to get You're real sloppy <laughs> with my last year of my 20s. <laughs> yeah, why not? Cheers. Cheers, Emily. Clink. Could have bought the Emily wine again, but I didn't because we've already had it and it wasn't very good. It wasn't bad, but yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites. This is silky. It's definitely a red. I like it. It's It's more muted. It's not as acidic as you get a grape seed in yours. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> We're going to go with it. It's a grape seed. Sure. Ooh, that was loud. This Sorry. is like a really organic wine. Yeah. Like everything is in there. There's Gra- some skins you know, they, and pulp. They, they macerated the skins really well, but apparently not the seeds. No, mm. I'm kidding. It's actually really good. Yeah. It's not. So I feel like sometimes when we drink reds, they're very um, powerful. There's like an acidity yeah, it's, to it's it. Yeah, it's a very like punchy in your face acidity this but one's this very is, muted silky is the correct word oh, yeah. like they they nailed it this is really feel. good <laughs> excellent effervescent mouthfeel no that was the last one everything is effervescent mouthfeel right. now this is silky mouthfeel that's so uh when i give feedback now i'm just gonna say effervescent mouthfeel this, this web that. design has effervescent mouthfeel. What does that mean? Oh, you don't know? It's a web term. Don't bother. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just going to pull stick, rank. Stick your, stick your finger up in the air and be snooty. Do you even know what a firewall is? It's not a wall of fire. <laughs> I know. I learned that today. <laughs> oh, Do you yeah, even is... spell check? <laughs> Do you even grammar check? Come oh, on. my God. Do you Who even doesn't know? use an Oxford comma? Sorry. Fucking monsters and journalists. Not the same thing, but journalists know. do not use the Oxford comma. All right. I believe you're first today. I am first, and Let's I'm very excited. So I know uh, a couple of my stories from Black History Month were kind of bummer, so I was really looking for a, uh, a beat story. And upper. Upper. yeah, you know, this is my upper. I'm just popping some uppers over here about my story. So. I don't quite remember how I found this woman because it was a long time ago and I wrote her name down on a sticky note on my desk. So shout out to my coworker who maybe recommended her and I wrote the name down. I I think. But basically, I have had this woman's name sitting on a sticky note on my desk for ages. And I'm like, yes, I should cover her now. So now is the time. It's time. This time. Talking history, talking history, na na na. Anyway, I am covering Adelaide Herman, the Queen of Magic. I absolutely love that name, and it's great that she's the Queen of Magic, but I I, love the name Adelaide. I do, too, and there's an Anne Berlin song called Adelaide. Adelaide. 
Adelaide. Nah, nah, nah. And I love it. And I was like, maybe Adelaide should be my fake bar name, but no one would fucking believe that. We have to convince someone we know that's going to have children, since neither of us are, <laughs> to name their child Adelaide and bring that name back. So then it can be your bar name. I'm going to name my cat Adelaide. Yeah, that'd be okay. Yeah. All right. So Adelaide was born in London in 1853, smack dab in the middle of the Victorian era, which I have strong feelings about because it was a super rapey time. Yeah, that's why like when people are like, what era would you like to visit? I'd be like, I want to visit the Victorian era, but I want to be able to go there for like one day and know that I get to come back. And be a rich white woman the whole time. It's just like, you know, (laughs) not you have to like go find your time machine again. No, it's like you have a 12 hour time limit. And when that time's up, you're back in the present. That's what I would want. And then I would go to the Victorian era. So there's this book about Virginia Woolf that I've been trudging through the for the past like year and a half because it's really triggering because I mean, it's Virginia the, Woolf. Well, the book is literally Virginia Woolf and how sexual assault affected her writing. Right. Like that that's the thesis statement. Wait, and did you finally finish that book on the Kennedy family? No. Ugh, I'm supposed to borrow that when you're done. I you're know. like it's hard. It is. Anyways, I like three pages we're gonna left get it's sad. So off topic. Anyway, okay. but uh the book talks about how the Victorian era didn't just allow for a lot of rape and incest and sexual assault to occur but like actively encouraged it like boys would go off to boarding school and the older boys were encouraged to like sexually assault the younger boys to toughen them up i'm like what the actual fuck is happening uh so that you're talking about the victorian era not my story this this time but my story for our one year actually like talks about a little bit of that but it's much more modern than the victorian era that's horrifying yeah. Yeah. I, I hate that we're still talking about this shit. But anyway, this has nothing to do with the Victorian era or rape. This is, a, this is a happy This Remember, is a happy this is an story. upper. This is yeah. a Bailey upper. God, every time I think I'm out, they just pull me back down. So she had the coolest dad ever because uh, he built a museum called the Egyptian Hall on Piccadilly Street. Because oh, this was at the time I Egypt the was super fucking cool. Yeah. And so the British stole all their shit. Yeah. I mean... They didn't express their fandom and now won't give appropriately. Back. I literally was talking about this at work today about um, how a lot of early archaeology was just cultural theft. Yeah, <laughs> and now a lot of the museums that hold that cultural theft refuse to give it back. Or yeah. actually, not the museums, the government. Yeah. Well, we don't think you have the appropriate tools to keep this stuff safe because we were able to just come in and take it. Right. You guys have proven to be irresponsible. Anyway. <laughs> So he ha- so he creates this museum, the Egyptian Hall, and it was wildly popular. And I don't know how this is relevant to any of the stories. But super. it's cool. It comes back in a small way, but it's mentioned in literally every article I read about Adelaide. And it's also because like it's like, hey, obviously she was educated because like her yeah. father ran a museum. You know, I think that's probably maybe what they're hin- getting at. And it does come back in a in a small way like kind of a weird like kismet way but egyptian museums are bitching so i'm gonna talk yeah, about it so adelaide had big dreams of becoming a dancer in new york city and this was not an easy path it's never an easy path to do anything in new york city except maybe be poor <laughs> yeah or, even that's homeless. hard yeah like so dance was uh was and is highly competitive with a narrow window to break into the industry so with a lot of with a lot of uh, sports and performance arts, 
you have to do it when you're tiny and young and flexible and like oh, yeah. the second you hit 25 you're fucking done yeah that's why all the gymnasts at the olympics are 12 year olds right so even though even the career of a dancer can be short because you have a short lifespan well and you're also dancers are actually like really prone to injury oh yeah it, it, it's like you break your, your ankle you could feet. be done yeah, yeah. So to stay competitive, Adelaide studied aerial acrobatics oh. along with dance. So she's like trying to give herself that, that edge. Then. Oh, it's nuts. She also learned how to ride a velocipede, which is literally every ridiculous Victorian bicycle you can imagine, including the penny farthing, which is the one with the, the giant wheel, wheel yeah. and the little baby what, what, wheel. <laughs> I know that's called the penny farthing, but that's usually also what I think of when someone says a velocipede. Like, yeah. That's the first thing that pops into my head. I literally, I, I googled velocipede because I thought it was a specific kind, but no, that's the umbrella term for all of the suicide bikes that they rode yeah. back then. Because Old school bike. Only one of them like survived. No, two, because there was, no. no one... Velocipedes were two wheels, so the... The penny farthing technically survived. It's not fucking practical. I'm not Shut saying it's <laughs> practical. You said survived. But like as as a thing today, so oh, like yeah, bicycles no. are a thing, and uh, I don't. What's the what's the mo, what's the one unicycle? Wheel? Unicycle, <laughs> unlike the mono wheel. No, close. That's still a thing. I don't think that was technically a velocity though. No. But anyway, idiot Victorian bikes. That's what I'm calling them. So she then put her killer velocipede riding skills to use by traveling as a trick rider with Professor Brown's velocipede troupe. Can you be a professor of velocipedes? I mean, it, like, maybe if you build them. And then you just have like a little show and you go around and tell yeah, and everyone. you're like, like, look at all these cool velocipedes. I have my PhD in velocipedes and I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah, please. Yes. Three wheels? That's ridiculous. Two wheels is the way to go. One is too little. Three is too many. But one wheel has to be much, much larger than the other wheel. It has right. to have, like, weird proportions, and it has to be dangerous. If you can't die while riding this... It's not a velocity. It's not a velocity. <laughs> so, uh, ready to take the next step, Adelaide finally made the big move to the Big Apple in 1874. She had hoped to break into the New York City Ballet, but, as I mentioned, it's insanely competitive. Right. It's like Russian ballet. Top tier. Yeah. I realize you can't see my hand motions. <laughs> um, and then, like, I'm pretty sure New York City might be, like, the next one on the list. It's a big deal. Like, she's traveling from London oh, yeah. to New York City to, just to do, to do this. this. She did find work as a dancer with the Caralfi brothers, who ran a circus and burlesque show. So she's still dancing and doing the performance thing. Now, during this time, there was a famous magician running around named Alexander Herman, a.k.a. Herman the Great. I think I've actually heard of him. He's he was a big deal at the time, and I wrote because you didn't have to try that hard back in the 1800s. Just, I'm great. Someone not the, the best, but I'm pretty I mean, damn good. You know, <laughs> he could have just waited a little while and then just gone with Alexander, like Houdini. He could have, but he was the great. He he wanted to extend his mystique more. Oh, Alexander, who the fuck is that? What's his deal? Oh, he's great. Sign me up. I will go see that show. So he was the youngest of 16 kids. Holy shit, his poor mother. So legend says that his physician father, Samuel, had a magic side hustle performing for nobles and royalty, including the Sultan of Turkey and Napoleon. 
Napoleon allegedly gave Samuel a gold watch in exchange for his performance, which was then gifted to Alexander. And how did he, he said he was the 16th child. How did yes. the 16th child manage to get the gold watch from the father? Shouldn't that be like the first son? I mean, I'm not saying Samuel didn't have favorites. I'm just saying. Or, <laughs> or that happened. Alexander may have been lying. Or maybe Alexander was a dirty fucking thief. Stole yeah. it from his Any- stole it from his dad's his dad's dying hands, and then everyone else is like, "Where's the watch?" It's like, fuck, I don't know. Maybe or he he's just it into or the he's river. just like, "Dad gave it to me." Dying breath, he was like, "Son, take the watch." And if any of you question me, I will make you disappear, magic hands. <laughs> so, um, Alexander followed in his father's footsteps and became a bomb ass magician. Although maybe that's why. Maybe he got the watch because he, he became a magician. He had another brother who was a magician. I didn't we get into it because him. it's not about him. About him. I mean, not it's about not about him. Alexander either. It's not. But I actually found a bunch of information on Adelaide through Alexander because he was that the more famous happens. one. So, because fuck history. <laughs> So he interwove his magic with humor and worked to make his performances fun and joyful rather than serious and mysterious, which was kind of the like yeah, that's the, the, thing. the thing of the time because oh, it yeah. was like people dressing up as foreigners and I pretending mean, to be mystics from yeah, ancient old lands. And he was like the Victorian era. Everything's, you know, everything death and good is death and decay. And yeah. Mysterious. They were so goth back then. So he performed across Europe and made his way to London in 1871, where he chilled for three years por- performing. Porning. Porning. That was that was the humor part of his show. He would pull his dick out of a hat. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this, guys. So you know the po- the popcorn bucket trick? Yeah, it's that. It was him. He's He was the OG popcorn pervert. Yeah, there you go. Except with a hat. He was, they were more classy back yeah, of then. Course. Yeah. Uh, so he was performing at the Egyptian hall that Adelaide's dad built. Why? Yay, it did connection. come back. <laughs> yep. So eventually he made his way across the pond to New York City. And this is where he met the 22 year old Adelaide. So I found that Alexander actually first met Adelaide in London, and then they happened to be on the same boat going to America. So their their whole, like, meet cute is kind of, I don't actually know what happened, but this was his kind of story. So Adelaide apparently had plans to marry an American actor, but by the time they docked in the States, she had changed her mind. He was known as this very, like, suave, smooth operator. So whatever we According weird- to him or according to other people? Both. <laughs> so whatever weird 1800s meet cute they had, the two were married on March 27th, 1875. Oh, almost, birthday. almost your birthday. And they were married by the mayor of New York. What the fuck did that happen? I know. Like, or and was that like common back then? I don't think it was. I think it's because he was a famous performer. But truly earning the title of great, Alexander pulled a wad of bills out from the mayor's beard during the ceremony. And just, like, made it rain and, like, dunked on the mayor that way. Nice. Like, what the hell? So Adelaide During be- his wedding. During his wedding. Like, dude, Alexander, this isn't about you. This is about the bride. Right. Shut up. <laughs> so Adelaide began performing with Alexander as his assistant, and the two traveled across the United States by rail car. Just kind of hitting towns and doing fun. their magic I've always thing. wanted to travel by rail. So let me just say, being a magician's assistant is fucking hard. It's not just dressing in skimpy outfits. No, you and have like, to know all their tricks. Yeah, and you have to practice. And there's, like, contortion and all that stuff involved. Yeah, there's depending actually, on the tricks you're doing. Yeah. 
But there's actually the show. It was popular in the early 2000s, The Mass Magician. I don't know if you ever saw it. I heard of it, though. I So it's on Netflix, and I highly recommend everyone watches it because the narrator is pervy as shit. He's always commenting about the uh, assistant's, like, bodies Ugh. and outfits, and, like, if they're, like, strapped to something, he makes light BDSM jokes. It's fucking wild, and it's, like, equal parts hilarious and uncomfortable. Oh, okay. But they do get into, like, how much practice and, like, they're really doing they, they need just to, as much work as the magician. They almost, in some tricks, they do more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's like, it's tons of timing, skill, and loads of practice. And it's much more than strutting around on stage in skimpy outfits. So Adelaide is working. The shows they put on were highly elaborate, performing illusions such as making gloves vanish, making cards appear, talking to rabbits, and making a bag of rice appear in a vase, then plucking an orange from an audience member's beard, and then making the orange and rice switch places. Oh, the 1800s. It was so that simple back then. That one actually sounds interesting. The rice and orange one. Yeah. It, it's like a lot of steps with some weird things. But, I mean, we have punk street magic now. So, right. who am I to judge? Chris Angel? Uh, mind freak? Mind freak. God fucking damn it. I used to be, like, super into his magic tricks. And then I'm like... And then he did one where he, like... It wasn't even a magic trick. He just, like, meat hooked himself to, like, an airplane and had him fly him around. And I was like... Mm. That's just horrifying. I'm like, that's just pain tolerance. That's just your uh, performance sadism fetish. It's just too many drugs. Or masochism? Masochism. Masochism. Anyway, uh, so Adelaide's signature move during these performances was performing a fire dance, but she also acted as a human cannonball and a stunt performer. That was dangerous. Like, the stunts, depending on the stunts, but, like, being a human cannonball could be real dangerous. Yeah, well, she was, like, riding on her velocipede, just, like, in circles while... Alexander was doing his thing and it was just like da, 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 da. oh I thought you I meant like legit human cannibal no no, that no. Was dangerous. no I mean like her stunts I'm oh ma- yeah I'm making a joke <laughs> I'm bringing the velocipede back in just way over my right head. over there I can see my joke splattered on the wall and it's just dripping down sadly and slowly Uh, She also learned the magical arts and began to develop her own illusions. But hers were very difficult. She would try to teach Alexander her illusions, but he would struggle because they were too hard. And so he would stick to kind of what he was good at. One example is what I like to call the rainbow sand illusion. Adelaide would pour various colors of sand into a bowl of water. But when she would reach her hands into the bowl, the sand would be dry. Mind blown. Don't get it. Then in 1896, Alexander suffered a heart attack and died at the age of oh. 52. Oh, wow. This okay. isn't about him. No. He, but, but he was an important It was important just very part. sudden. Yeah. Like I said, I, w- As I was not going to- tend to be. Like, if you get into his story, it's much longer and there's a lot of stuff that goes right. on. But this isn't his story. No. So, Alexander, rest Dead. in peace, but this isn't about you. You made the wedding about you. The story is not about you. <laughs> So 43-year-old Adelaide's world was rocked. Beyond losing the love of her life, her career as a magician's assistant was kind of dependent on having a magician. That's usually how it works. Uh, despite Be your own magician, Adelaide. Just wait for it. It's coming. I that. <laughs> despite them having a successful career, they hadn't made enough for Adelaide to retire on. She wasn't like sitting Rolling on a mountain it. of gold and rainbow sand. You mean you can't just sand. pull more money out of the mayor's beard? Yeah. <laughs> Mayor, get over here. Let me pull some wads out of your beard. 
So beyond that, Adelaide had fallen in love with the magical arts, and she didn't want her pa- her passion to die with her husband. So Adelaide struck out on her own, but not in the way you'd think. Not yet. First, she convinced her nephew, Leon Herman, so Alexander's nephew, to take up the Herman the Great title and perform acting as his manager and teacher. So she was like, you be the face. I'm going to do it like all the work, though. However, he turned out to be an arrogant dick who refused to share his earnings and actually fired Adelaide. With her gone, he crashed and burned and she danced in the fires of his failure. <laughs> yeah. Any success that dude had was purely because of Adelaide. I mean, clearly. I don't fucking need you. And then he just burst into flames from his own arrogance and dickishness. So Adelaide, sick of trying. Remember that, men. Yes. (laughs) It's a story for you all. Out of his ashes, Adelaide rose like a fucking phoenix. So Adelaide, sick of trying to delegate shit, decided to make the ultimate transformation from assistant to magician. Watcha. Female magicians weren't terribly common and still aren't. Like, I found a ton of articles talking, basically asking the question, where are the female magicians? I know, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, um... Like, every primary magician I can think of is a guy. I I literally can't even think of a female physician. Right. Physician. (laughs) I have a female physician, um... But no, like, I literally can't think of a female magician. And if you Google it, there are quite a few. But yeah, we They're not don't prominent. know them. Yeah. They're not, you know, a la Chris Angel or Penn and Teller. Copper, David Copperfield. Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini. Okay, so like I said, female magicians weren't terribly common. So Adelaide could have dressed in drag to have more credibility. You know, just like, oh, I look like a man. So treat me with respect because that's what I need. Uh, This would have also given her more places to hide things because women's clothes don't have pockets, guys. But instead, she embraced her femininity and began performing in gorgeous flowing gowns. She called her shows Magic, Grace, and Music. Oh. Which is like... So she added in a bit of her acrobatics and stuff? Oh, yeah. So she utilized her training as a dancer and would dance during her performances and hired other dancers to join her as well. That's awesome. So she's not just doing the illusions. Like, this is a whole, like, almost Cirque du Soleil-esque experience, I would think. I would go watch that. Adelaide finally got to perform the illusions she had been working on with Alexander that Alexander couldn't do, including the Satan switcheroo. Which is not what she called it. That's what I'm calling it because is it, is it similar to Satan's Sex Island? It's not. Callback. Oh my God, Satan's Sex Island. I still, I still see him with his little goat legs and like his Hawaiian shirt with a coconut yeah, drink and umbrellas. Right? I'm just, just rocking like, it. I want to go to Satan's Sex Island. Like I bet Satan's pretty fucking hot. I don't right? know. <laughs> Minus the goat legs. The so, rest of it. <laughs> yes. So uh, she would disappear in a puff of red smoke and Satan would magically appear in her place. And she also levitated and escaped a burning coffin. I want to know who elected to play Satan. It was still her. I don't know. I would assume it was basically her assistant. Yeah. Well, how fun would that be? Like, hey, I need a Do you want to play Satan? Oh, my God. I have been dreaming of this moment since right. I was a little child. My mom told me about Satan's sex island. Yes, yes please. please. <laughs> so this was all amazing. But to really make a name for herself and put herself on equal footing of male magicians, Adelaide needed to do something bold. Adelaide needed a magic bullet. Don't we all? <laughs> was it a rabbit? No, it was a, literally a magic bullet. 
I was making a oh, joke. Oh, with the bunny ears for clitoral stimulation. Yes. Oh. Like, there's actually a sex toy called the rabbit. It's in... I'm sorry. Um, I forgot. about it in Sex in the City. Now my joke is splattered on the other wall, sadly dripping down. Yes. Well, now you know how I feel. So the bullet catch trick typically goes like this. The magician stands on one end of the stage with a trained assistant on the other end who is holding a gun. The assistant will then fire the gun and the magician will catch the bullet in their teeth teeth. or hands or whatever. Usually teeth. That's how I've heard it done. But hands are also okay. That's the trick. Stop ruining magic, guys. Magic is real. Santa's real. The Easter Bunny's real. So is Satan. The tooth. (laughs) Okay, he's probably the most real out of all of them. (laughs) Satan lives inside us all. (laughs) Probably. He's that bitchy thought you have before you go, Emily, stop, you know, looking down on people. Don't judge them. But then you say that bitchy thought anyways, and you're like, damn it. Satan. No, then I just put it away to share with Kelly because I know yeah. she won't judge me because she also has a little Satan inside her. Just a little. So not satisfied with the already very difficult and potentially deadly trick, people have totally died doing this. Yeah, if you don't shoot a blank and you shoot an actual bullet, you're going to kill your magician. There's actually a famous case uh, where it was a husband and wife Yeah, team. and it was like a scorned... Her, like he like cheated on her or something and she shot him. Yeah, they, they still don't know if she did it on purpose. Rob's dead. Let's Probably. be honest. So uh, not satisfied with this. Adelaide took six more big steps by having six militiamen fire at her and catching all six bullets in her mouth. This was all Holy one shit. month after her husband's death. She's already like, fucking bring it. Adelaide was a sensation. She performed internationally and drew large audiences and garnered attention from magazines, including the New York Times. I think it's sad because you've already said that her husband was the bigger name. Why? She catches six bullets in her mouth. And I don't think anyone... And makes Satan appear. I don't think anyone had done it with six bullets up until that point. Right? Because it is like a really tricky, dangerous trick. No, I'm pretty sure even today, because that's still a magic trick today. I'm pretty sure most people still only use one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I read that these were like local militiamen. Yeah, so they weren't like trained people. She would just be like, hey... I'm going to be in this town. I need some militiamen. God damn it. Yeah. Um, in 1899, an article in Broadway magazine titled The World's Only Woman Magician, which just attests to how rare they were, quoted her as saying, uh, I shall not be content until I'm recognized by the public as a leader in my profession and entirely irrespective of the question of sex. Nice. So she's like, I'm not just the best female magician. I want to be recognized as one of the best magicians, period. Like, don't qualify, which I totally respect. Uh, in an article that is totally qualifying her. Exactly. And she's like, okay, fuck your title. This is what I'm saying. This right. is my piece. And uh, Adelaide earned the title of Queen of Magic. Not only was Adelaide... Even that's still qualified with gender. True, but... It's still a badass title. Yeah, like, I'm okay being a queen. A quan. A quan. A quan. Yes. Yes, quan. Not only was Adelaide killing it as a magician, she also used magic to cope with loss. And, like, she explored a lot of those themes in her magic. the the dark, gothic, Victorian themes we already mentioned. Her favorite trick was called the Phantom Bride. Her name, not mine. That's badass. Not as badass as the Satan switcheroo, but respect. 
She would make the bride, who was draped in a white gown, levitate through hypnotism. After using a ring to prove there were no wires, Adelaide would pull away the white robes to reveal the bride was gone. Uh, her, mo her most popular trick was Noah's Ark. This following description is taken straight from Wiki because it's just so bizarre. And I'm like, I can't write this better. Like, this just lays it all out. So... At first, an ark was shown empty. Then buckets of water, symbolizing the flood, were poured down its chimney. Soon, two cats, one black and one white, gave Kelly debilitating allergies, and she was rushed to the hospital. The cats then climbed from the chimney, while a gangplank emerged over which prowled a parade of dogs in costumes. Um, and there were birds and leopards and lions and tigers and zebras and elephants. And then Bears? A oh my... They didn't say bears, but I assume. You can't have lions and tigers without bears. It's naturally it's impossible. It's, yeah. A flock of white doves then flew from the windows, and the biblical boat opened to reveal a lounging woman dressed in white. It just sounds like How a How big was this fucking, fucking boat? Like, right? I, when you're describing this, I was like, oh, it must be like a, like, you know, like the size of a desk. Si no, like this had to be like a fucking full size arc. This was like an outdoor. Like it I had don't to be. understand. There is no way this was inside. It was so complicated. And a part of me doesn't fully understand the trick. It just sounds like a bunch of animals crawl outside of this arc. Well, I think it's because it like they well, poured it, a bunch of water into it and then there was no water. There was animals. Well, and it's it's so first the arc is shown to be empty and then yeah. all of a sudden all these animals start I'm just pouring surprised, out of it. Like, but like the leopards and lions didn't like eat the dogs or the doves. You know, don't even ask me about the logistics of this shit because that's why I just took this from Wikipedia. I'm like, I don't I understand assume there how was, like, any of this works. A bunch of cages inside <laughs> yeah. and they just like let them go. But still, it geez. was bonkers so adelaide toured and performed as a headliner for over 25 years that's awesome until she was in her 70s so she's like a granny shit. getting shit done yeah that is kind of one of those professions you can do at any because i mean think of david copperfield he was old oh he's still performing like six days oh, a yeah. week eight shows he's a still week. alive like oh yeah he, he like is las vegas i know i kind of forgot that he was still alive yeah, we saw See, signs for him when we were there. And I, I was know. Like, oh shit! I we also he was saw dead. we also saw signs for Tape Face. Like, mm -hmm. see, when I think of Las Vegas, I think of Penn and Teller. Like, uh, I think they're kind of taken over. Maybe well, because I, I also think Siegfried and Roy so old. The only thing I think of of Siegfried and Roy is I go, oh yeah, the one almost got eaten by his tiger. Yeah, I don't wish death I on anyone. I don't think they perform but anymore. Here's the thing: if that tiger had killed him, I would kind of just be like, "Good yeah. on the tiger." Like that, I feel like that's the logical progression of events in that situation. Right. You either stop or you get eaten by the tiger. Right. I mean, I think they did stop. I don't think they're performing anymore. Uh, they're they might be dead. They're I'm, fucking I'm old. They were old as shit when I was like ten. <laughs> yeah, because I don't remember seeing any signs for them. Siegfried and Roy. Go ahead, continue. Um, so, in 1926, a deadly fire, speaking of death and people dying, right. a deadly fire broke out in the warehouse where Adelaide stored all of her props oh, and, no. and killed most of the animals she used in the Noah's Ark oh. trick. The kitties and puppies were fine, though. <laughs> her street had cannon. The kitties and puppies were fine. She had a brief comeback, but officially stopped performing in 1928 because she lost all of her shit. Yeah. So they did stop performing after Roy got attacked by the tiger. Okay, smart. 
that tiger was sending them a message and they they right. were like message received yeah so on february 19th 1932 adelaide died of pneumonia at the age of 79 which is 59 years and two days away from my birthday she is buried in the woodlawn cemetery in new york so legacy Yep. So during her time, Adelaide was a master magician. So why isn't she remembered like Houdini and other magicians of her time? Because men are the rulers of history. Partly. Definitely part of it. But part of it does go back to that tragic fire. So when Houdini died, he left a bunch of props and swag behind. And so auctioneers played up his legacy to sell his stuff. Right. And so that really helped like continue his legacy. Well, I think he had... Like, I don't remember if it was his wife or just, like, a dedicated, like, lady that was always on stage with him. And, like, I know she, like, you know, was like, oh, he was he was the real deal. And, like, mm-hmm. I know she played it up a lot, too. Yeah. But so he, so he had stuff to perpetuate his legacy yeah. after his and death. And she lost everything. Yeah. Adelaide lost most of her things in the fire and didn't have anything to sell after her death. So it was just like, oh, she stopped performing and now she's dead and that's it. So there was no financial motivation to keep her memory alive, which is kind of a new thing I feel we've encountered on the podcast. It's usually someone's purposely erased or no one cares, but like there was no financial motivation. This is a way in a way that no one cares, but this isn't like, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like it's a new brand. I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but no, it's like, uh, like I'm sure like some common people cared and yeah, like maybe they would tell their kids of the show they saw. So while the field of magic is still male dominated, aspiring female magicians can look at Adelaide Herman and say, she did it. So can I. Yes. So she's still recognized. Build that fucking arc, ladies. Right? Get all of the animals. Get all the cats I'll, and I'll dogs. Be, I'll be your woman dressed in white inside <laughs> the arc. Just give me a call. Yes. Just lounging there, dying of allergies. Yeah. I might already be dead. The trick Maybe is that. Maybe that's the trick. The is trick that I'm is dead. that she survives. <laughs> <laughs> All those fucking cats and she's just like poofy and red and, you know, I do wonder that. Breathe. I'm like, would I be allergic to like big cats? I bet. Because they're still cats. Yeah, but like. They have like I don't know. the same dandruff and hormones. That's <laughs> not a thing. No. <laughs> but anyway, that is Adelaide Herman, the queen of magic. Yas Klein. Yas Klein. Also, throughout this whole story, I uh, try. I definitely used the word trick, but I tried not to because all I could think of was Job from Arrested Development when he says, Illusions, Michael. A trick is something a whore does for, for cocaine or candy. <laughs> That's like one of my yeah, favorite things. Because the whole thing is people call them tricks. He's a magician. He's like, they're not yeah, tricks. They're illusions. Illusions. I know. I, I, I heard you say illusions a few times. And I'm like, that's an interesting choice of I, I was trying to be very deliberate. So Arrested Development fans, this one's for you. Mine's also an upper. So, you know. Good. Usually we do like every other. But this time you get two uppers in one episode. Yay. You know, if that's going to be too much for you. Just pause and come back tomorrow. You know, if you guys are getting too happy, just Google the news. Or, like, rewind one episode. Yeah. Go listen to the Leesburg Stockade right? Girls, because yeah. that just had no Yeah, I'm pretty sure that lining. was last episode. No, that was, was the two one episodes before ago? last. Okay. Yeah, because last you know, week or, I did Or wait to the one year, because Emily said her story is depressing. So, is. you know, either one. Yeah, I, I she, got you know a she didn't sad. go. Woo, one year. Let's like make it an upper. Here's the thing. I'm super excited for my one yeah, year no, story too. though. So stay tuned, you guys. Yeah. Come anyway, back next week. okay. Kelly, tell me your so happy story. So I am covering Zheng Shi. 
Also, actually, later in life, she is known as Cheng Shi, which means Cheng's widow. That's literally what that translation apparently oh. means. So she goes from Zhang's widow to Chang's widow? No, Zhang Shi is like, that was just her. Okay. Oh, do Born they just name? Like, I don't. I don't know how this do, works. I I wonder if they just like replace part of the first name with like the husband's name after. Oh no, they sorry. Die. She was born Shi Yang. Shi Yang. Okay, well that's different. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, so she must mean something different when put in the front of a name versus in the end of a name. Yeah. I don't know how Chinese works. We're not going to pretend no. to know either. Okay. We so, love it, but we don't know. We know next next to nothing about Cheng Shi's early life. One of the articles was like, we don't even know her birth name, but I found another one that said that she was born Shi Yang in 1775 in the Guangdong province. Okay. She first enters actual historical record in 1801. And at the time, this beautiful young woman was working as a prostitute in a Cantonese brothel. So she's yep. just, she's living a great life. She, and I, I imagine right. like she wasn't like a sex worker where they're more in control. Nope. She was just maybe some survival right. sex she was, work. She was nicknamed Shi Hing Ku, which I didn't, I don't know what the translation for that. And the brothel she worked in was a floating brothel, which kind of sounds fun. Like, like, like a river boat? Yeah. Like, was or maybe it a, an ocean boat. I don't know. Just said a, a floating brothel. So I don't know if that means like. They moved into like different houses in the city or if it was like on a boat. I like to think it was on a boat. Brothel boat. Yeah, brothel boat. Can we trademark that? Because that's yes. fucking brilliant. Copyright. Uh, Wedding about her street. 228, 2020. Brothel boat. Brothel boat. All right. So during this time, she was captured by pirates. Oh. So even more so. It probably on the was boat <laughs> for a brothel boat. Oh, my God. Of all of the workplace hazards of being a <laughs> sex worker, Fucking pirates? By pirates. Are you um, shitting me? <laughs> so Zheng Yi, a famous pirate fleet admiral, claimed claimed the captive to be his wife. So he's like, hey, be my wife. Gross. She pluckily agreed to marry the pirate leader only if he met certain conditions. Oh, she's she's like, hey, I'm not just going to be your wife because you say so. You got to right? jump through some hoops for me, buddy. She told him in order to marry him, she would have to be equal partner in the leadership of the pirate fleet, 50-50. And half of the plunder would also be hers. What a fucking... I love it's like, so she was born here and then she was a sex worker. Right. And then she started telling yeah. pirates what the um, fuck was going so on. So Shi Yang must have been either extremely beautiful or extremely persuasive or probably both. Yeah. Because Zheng Yi agreed. Wow. I love her. Right. She's like, you don't just walk onto my brothel boat and start saying what's what, buddy. <laughs> Some argue that he was infatuated with her, while others argue that the union was purely a business move intended to consolidate power because obviously she had kind of like the feminine wiles slash sexualism. Pussy you know? power. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's different reasons why, you know, or that didn't actually happen and she was just his wife. You know, Who no knows? one knows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with she was just real persuasive and real pretty. That yeah. she was just like you can only have this if you give me half of your shit, buddy. Do you want this? Yeah, exactly. Well, we're equal partners in this marriage, motherfucker. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. She's saying like, like a really sexy like, but aggressive yes. voice. Yeah, yes. She was like doing one of these like yeah, uh, exactly. equal partners. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna use. No, that. she's like mid blowjob, and she's like 
like right before she's just like so we're equal in this right and then just like won't do anything until he agrees she like he's about I'm sorry i leaned away from that you're gonna have to like yeah he's like about to like to, get there to come and she's, and she's like, just like she just like stops and is like so <laughs> if you want to come this is the way it it's right. gonna be he's just like fine yeah he was just like first three no. head cannon that's when they still believed in blue balls right no <laughs> okay so following their marriage she who fully quote fully participated in her husband's piracy became known as cheng one sao or wife of cheng one as opposed to cheng two yeah apparently okay this which i find is interesting because they said his name was um zhang yi or it must be cheng it must be pronounced cheng yi i've seen both pronunciations okay so so she's now married to the pirate yep. and she's super into it. Yes. She's like the pirate queen. They then adopted Xiang Po as their stepson, making making him Shang's fully legal heir. Um she also bore him two more sons, Cheng Ying Shi and Cheng Huang Shi. You're killing these Thank pronunciations. You. Like Maybe if I actually knew Chinese, I would say different. But to me, we're just gonna roll. You sound it. like you're doing pretty well for you know a Midwestern white girl. I think I'm doing okay. It's, it's, say it in a Minnesota accent. Uh, no, I don't even know that. I don't even know if I can do that. Oh, uh, I don't even um, know. I so can't sh- get Cheng the first used military assertion and his reputation to bind formal rival Cantonese pirate fleets into one alliance. By 1804, this coalition was a formidable force and one of the most powerful pirate fleets in all of China. This time they by this time they had taken um, the name the Red Flag Fleet. Their combined force consisted of six color-coded fleets, with their Red Flag one being the lead. The subsidi- subsidiary fleets included black, white, blue, yellow, and green. I like it. I you know color coding is a really great way right? to say then you can organized. just be like blue, blue flank, yes. flank right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is there flanking in pi- I guess yeah, because you show like Pirates of the Caribbean. You have like the two ships and they destroy the one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's where all my pirate knowledge comes from. Yeah. And and then Jack Sparrow comes in and he's super drunk and he's got his dreads and right? he's exactly. goofy, but Pirates of the Caribbean will come back into play later. Oh. Um in April eighteen oh four the the Shengs dis- instituted a blockade of the Portuguese trading port of Macau. Portugal then sent a battle squadron against the pirate armada, you know, obviously to like get their trading port back um but the zengs promptly defeated the portuguese britain intervened but did not dare take on the full might of the pirates the british royal navy simply began providing naval escorts for british ships and allied shipping in the area so britain's like we're not going to help you break this we're just going to protect our own stuff yeah what a massive territory though that's a long way to travel by sea from china to like british and portuguese waters well i know i think this was Still oh. in China, it was just they like the Portuguese port in China. Oh, okay. You know, okay. This was during like opium trading and Herstory head cannon though. They were they taking all, over yeah. the world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one hundred percent okay with that. They uh, took over seventy percent of the earth because that's how much is water. Right. They did go all the way to Vietnam though. Damn. On the sixteenth of November in eighteen oh seven, Sheng Wan, so her husband, died in Vietnam at the age of thirty nine. Oh, that's I mean, maybe for a pirate that's pretty old, but that know. seems young yeah. as hell. Um, so now, now known as Sheng Shi, you know, mm-hmm. Sheng's widow, <laughs> she immediately began maneuvering her way into his leadership position. 
She started to cultivate personal relationships to get the rivals to rec- recognize her status as, you know, the leader. She acted quickly to solidify the partnership with her adopted son, Shang Po, with intimacy. No. Pre's adopted son. I don't adopted fucking son. Care. I don't care. We're just, we're going to move on. In order to stop That's her rivals. That's Woody Allen bullshit, and I'm not on board. <laughs> In order to stop her rivals before open conflict erupted, she sought the support of the most powerful members of her husband's family, his nephew Ching Pao Yang and his cousin Ching Chi. Then she drew on the coalition formed by her husband by building upon some of the fleet captain's existing loyalties to her husband and making herself basically an essential person for the remaining captains that weren't, you know, feeling as loyal. Okay. Since Ching Shi would have a uh, Cheng Shi would have a much such a large force at her command, her second in command was obviously Sheng Po, her adopted son. Her adopted who she was son being gross thing. with. Yep. I mean, he would assist her in a man- managing the Red Fleet's day to day operations. However, at at the time, as the time called for a male being in charge, because you know, um, she named hi- she technically named him the official captain of the fleet, um, but he was loyal to her but they did this so he would you know it would be more accepted by low-level pirates. she was almost like the regent like yeah he's technically like in, in charge, charge but yeah, i'm really exactly. in charge exactly since xing she uh no i already did that once once she had the fleet's leadership position in hand she started the task of uniting the fleet by issuing a code of laws the newman translation I don't know what that is. I didn't Google it. I assume it's someone who translated Chinese history into, like, American. That's my guess. You mean Um, English? (laughs) I'm going to go with American, because if you talk to British people, they say we speak our own language. So I'm going to go with American. They also do. They have a lot of U's that are totally unnecessary, and uh, I don't appreciate it. But technically, they're the original English. Anyways. They created it, but we perfected it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or some would say bastardized it. Anyways, <laughs> the Newman translation of the history of pirates who infested the China Sea, which is like the title, must be the title it's an of aggressive a book. Title. Yeah, claims that Xiang pa- Po ch- claims that it was Xiang Po that issued the code, but we know that he was under it was Shangxi. So Yuan Yang Un, who's a Chinese scholar, says that Sheng did issue his or Sheng did issue his own code like on his own ships but like the big code was um shangxi's idea and the it code- was just for his boat but everyone else kind of did their thing but she's like no we're all yeah like he had this. his own rules for his ship but that was on top of the rules she had for her entire fleet okay um so this code was very strict and and according to scholars strictly enforced Ooh. so here's the code one, anyone giving orders that didn't come down from Xing Shi or disobeying those of a superior were beheaded on the spot. Okay. Two, no one was to steal from the public fund or any villagers that supplied to the pirates. Oh, that's kind of nice. Right? It's like, hey, if you guys don't cause us trouble, we're not going to steal exactly. from you or kill you. Three, all goods taken as booty had to be presented for group inspection. The booty was registered by a purser and then distributed by the fleet leader. The original Caesar received 20% and the rest was placed into the public fund. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Actual money was turned over to the squadron leader 
who would give a small amount back to the Caesar so that the rest could be used to purchase supplies for unsuccessful ships. So there's still like motivation to find a bunch of good stuff, but it's not like, oh man, everyone took it. It's not like the shitty Easter egg hunt where all the big kids get the eggs before you can toddle over and do anything. Exactly. But I I do like that the money that they like received, like they'd get some, a small amount back, but the rest was like, okay, this ship didn't do so well. So we're going to buy them supplies. Right. You know, it's nice, you know, that you're not punished. It's cooperative. It's nice. This isn't some no child left behind where the poor performing schools just get to get fucked and then perform more poorly. According to Philip Mahan, the punishment for a first time offense of withholding booty or money was severe whipping of the back. Large amounts of withheld treasure or subsequent offenses carried the death penalty. Okay. Okay. Really big on death. Right. As a former captive herself, Zheng Shi, God, Sheng Shi also had very strict rules about the treatment of female prisoners. Pirates could take this is so bad. Pirates could take beautiful captives of, as their wives or concubines, but they had to remain faithful and take care of them. Oh, so it's like okay, if you're going to steal this woman, this is a commitment that you are making, yeah. and you better treat her. Unfaithful nice. husbands were beheaded. Sweet. Um. Likewise, any pirate who raped a captive was also executed. I can we bring that back? Ugly women were to be released unharmed and free of charge. <laughs> that's okay. why that that's that's the terrible part because that's why I was like, oh god, this is terrible because they can take the beautiful ones as their wives or concubines, but the ugly ones they just leave somewhere and go, no, you're fine. You guys, isn't beauty in the eye of the beholder anyway? What if you're just really into that chick who's got like a massive right? bump, mole on her nose or she's got like, I don't know, like her eyes are on top of each other instead oh, of side be, by side? That would be creepy. I don't fucking know, man. You know, I don't yuck on your yum. Yeah, I'm not going to yuck on your yum, guys. You I, do and you. Maybe, maybe Shang-Chi didn't either. Maybe Beauty she was just like, you know what? Forms. You find her beautiful, fine. But she, keep her below deck. She make you hard? Okay, we're good. <laughs> uh, violations of other parts of the code were also punished with flogging, clapping in irons, and quartering. Deserters are those who left without official permission, had their ears chopped off, and then were paraded around their squadron. I thought you were going to say, and then they were beheaded, because I'm like, how does that not get you killed? Right. I mean, I no, guess then what's the point? They were going to leave you either way. <laughs> Richard Glasspool, who I'll, men- who I'll talk about who he is later, um, concluded that the code, quote, gave rise to a force that was intrepid in attack, desperate in defense, and unyielding even when outnumbered. Love it. Because it's true, like. They wanted to do well, and they, you know, there was reasons to not fail, basically. Well, and what I like is uh, the consequence, like, for you to get murdered or screwed over, you have to actively be an asshole. It's not right? like... It's basically like, as long as you're contributing to the fleet... If you're trying. You're fine. Yeah, as long as you're, you know, you're punching the clock every day, you know, you're going out even if you don't find as much treasure as the other person. You don't have, like, quarterly quotas. It's like, hey, if you're contributing and participating, cool, but if you try to fuck me... (laughs) Right, exactly. So the fleet under her command established hegemony over many coastal villages, and in some cases, they even opposed their own levies and taxes on these settlements. According to Robert Antony, Xingxi, quote, robbed towns, markets, and villages from Macau to Canton. So, like, that's good chunk of the Chinese border. Yeah. In one coastal village, the Sanshan village, they beheaded 80 men and abducted their women and children 
held them for and then held them for ransom until they were sold into slavery. Oh, that sucks. Like I get they're pirates and this isn't like a but Disney movie sucks. when they're cool, but in eighteen oh six the king the Quing? This is the one that I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce this. Q I N G. Ching? It's either Ching or Quing. Well, it's Ching. The Qing Dynasty decided to do something about Zheng Shi and her pirate empire. I think it is the Qing Dynasty. Yeah, that makes that yeah. sounds familiar. They sent an armada to fight the pirates. They didn't. They didn't learn from the Portuguese years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but Zheng Shi's ships quickly sank 63 of the government's naval ships, sending the rest packing. Jesus! Both Britain and Portugal declined to intervene against, quote, the terror of the South China Seas. They learned the last time. Wow. At this point, Zheng Shi had humbled three navies of world powers. Because Britain, China, and Portugal. Portugal. In January 1808, the Chinese government tried to destroy her fleet again in a series of fierce battles. However, this time she managed to pillage and take over the government ships and the government had to revert to using fishing be- vessels to in the battles. Well, you know, those things are super effective in oh, yeah. war. <laughs> 100%. You know, all their cannons and shit. Yeah. At the same time that the government was attacking her, Xing Shi faced a larger threat in the form of other pirate fleets. One in particular was Opote, a former allied pirate who began working with the Qing government. Um, and they he actually forced them to retreat from the coast. Oh, shit. I think it was because she was kind of fighting on two sides. She was fighting the actual, like, Qing dynasty, you know, fleet. And then she was also fighting pirates. Right. For years, the Red Flag fleet under Xing Shi's rule could not be defeated, neither by the King, Qing dynasty, Chinese officials, nor the Portuguese or the British bounty hunters. She captured Richard Glasspool, who I mentioned earlier, he gave a quote. Yep. Um, who was an officer of the East India Trading Company. Ah. On the ship, the Marquise of Ely, and he, she also captured seven other British soldiers. In September and November of 1809, Xing Shi and Sheng fleet suffered a series of defeats inflicted by the Portuguese Navy at the Battle of Tiger's Mouth. So the Portuguese eventually came back. Yeah. And there was no way that they would be able to hold out forever. In their final battle in the, na- in the Battle of Czech Lop Kok, in 1810, they surrendered to the Portuguese Navy on January 21st, and later accepted an am- God, love China. They later accepted an amnesty offered by the Qing Imperial Dynasty uh, to all pirates who agreed to surrender, ending their career, but allowing them to keep the, their loot. Okay. Um, well, it was probably getting really expensive exactly. and exhausting to fight against them. It's like, hey, if you guys just fucking knock it off, I, I don't care we'll what you, you do. Live. You don't have to go home, but right. you can't stay here. <laughs> uh, the amnesty allowed all but basically the worst of the worst to um, live out their lives. 60 pirates were banished, 151 were exiled, and only 126 were put to death out of her whole fleet of 17,318 pirates. Holy shit. The remaining pirates only had to surrender their weapons for the amnesty to, like, be okay. Wow. And they did. Oh, I get back to the creepy now. Xing Shi and Sheng Po asked the government of Guangdong Zhang Baling to dis- dissolve their mother and son relationship and allow them to be married, which the no. governor granted and witnessed. No. Xing Shi used her loot to opening- open a gambling house. Okay. And then uh, some sources say that Sheng Po went into the Navy, but a lot of other ones say that the dates don't match up and he probably didn't. So 
Who knows? Unknown what happened to him. In 1813, Xing Shi uh, did, however, give birth to his son, Sheng Yulin. She would also later have a daughter who was born at an unknown date and time. Okay. After Sheng Po died at Xi'an in 1822, Sheng Shi moved the family to Macau and opened a gambling house and brothel. Hey, I mean, she knows the business. You know, she's coming full circle. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's all it is. She also got involved in the salt trade. Because why not? Hey, people need their salt. Eggs are way too bland without a good dose of salt and pepper. Yes. In her later years, she served as an advisor to Ling Zexu in battling the British army during the first opium war, which broke out in 1839. Oh, there was an opium war. There was more than one. There, oh. There's a reason it says the first opium war. There's a lot of opium wars. Yes. Do you not know? Did you not learn about those in school? The Chinese Fuck opium no. wars? Okay. No. Anyways. I- our American education doesn't give a shit I mean, about I what happened about in China. Them. Well, that's because you're a history nerd and you're more educated than I am. In at a- your fucking Lutheran school. I went to oh, Catholic school. That's right. You did go to Catholic like, school. What fucking Lutheran school? Your fucking Catholic school. Yeah, there you go. Surprisingly giving you a decent I'm education. Ac- I think I actually <laughs> learned about it in my public high school. Well, that makes sense. Um, in 1844, uh, Sheng Shi died in bed surrounded by her family in Macau at the age of 69. So she just lived her best fucking life. Right? So cultural references slash legacy. Okay. A semi-fictionalized account of her life appeared in Georges-Louis Bourgie's uh, short story, The Widow Ching, Lady Pirate, which <laughs> I like how they described her, though. She's described as, quote, a lady pirate who operated in Asian waters all the way from the Yellow Sea to the Anam coast, who... After surrendering to imperial forces, is pardoned and allowed to live the rest of her life as an opium smuggler. Yeah, no, that's that's wrong. I mean, it's not that far off. She was allowed to live the rest of her life as a madam and a gamble house right. proprietor. Um, he did say eventually the guy was like, "Oh, um, like it was some naturalist that like told him that." So like they're like, eh, "I don't know if he was the best of sources." Yeah. Um, there's apparently a manga called Codename Sailor V. Oh my god, is um, that in part chap- of Sailor Moon? I have no idea. Because isn't, uh, it's, oh shit, is it Sailor Venus, the blonde one? I don't know. She's like a vigilante for part of it where she wears a mask and she's like Sailor V or something. I don't know, but in chapter 15, Sailor V transforms temporarily into Shing-Chi. Which is cool. Uh, Afterlife, which is a graphic novel, depicts her as a guardian who fights demons to protect the denizens of the underworld. That is totally Sailor Moon. It's Sailor Venus, the one with the long blonde hair that's not in pigtails. That's fucking awesome. Um, in the wake, uh, in in the book, the wake of Lorelai Lee, um, Jackie is captured by Shing Shi and so impresses her that the pirate bestows her a, ta- a tattoo, meaning she's under her protection. Oh, back to Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> a character loosely based on Xing Shi appears in the 2007 film Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Oh, is she the... Played by Takayo Fisher, Mistress Ching is portrayed as one of the nine pirate lords of the Brethren Court and, and the powerful leader of the Pirate Confederation of China. That is fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, Puppet Mongers Theater in Toronto, Canada mounted two different productions based on her life. Um, there was a Hong Kong television drama called Captain of Destiny, um, where there's a character based on her. Uh, Red Flag was a limited series which centered on her, which is kind of cool. Apparently it started filming in fall of 2014 in Malaysia, so who knows if 
what actually happened with it. If it's if it's out, if it's available, if it crashed and burned. This one's cool because this is more modern. This is the last one, too. On March 19th, 2018, a character who, who references the real-life Ching Shi named Madam Shi was added to the MMORPG, or multi- Massive Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game, for those of you who don't game, RuneScape. Shut the fuck up! Yep. Shut she, up! She, she debuted in a pirate-themed quest titled Pieces of Hate, and she goes on to feature in other quests um, that were released in February of last year, so 2019, titled Curse of the Blackstone. In both quests, she's captured but eventually escapes with help from the player, which is possibly referencing Ching Shi's knack for getting out of all sorts of dangerous situations. Oh my god, I played RuneScape so much in middle school, and that's where I met like my first pedophile. Nice. Who was trying to get me to meet him outside of the local police station so I would know he wasn't a predator, even though he totally was. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, no. Parents. Fucking watch that shit. My 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 mom has no idea that happened. I never she did anything. Now. I never did anything, and it was it was it never escalated because I was like, I'm pretty sure this guy's a creep and right. blocked him. But way, yeah, way to know. This shit happens. Sierra O feeling. I used to. My friend uh, now calls it run escape because if you split the words up differently, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that's way appropriate. Is. Instead of RuneScape. Guys, there's so many pedophiles on RuneScape. I mean, it's not even just RuneScape. Like, what is the other one? Like, Maple Story. Yeah, they're everywhere. I mean, even WoW probably has some. They are everywhere. Just be careful, guys. Yeah. That's that's a super cool reference. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to be like, RuneScape. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Of the two of us, you are not the gamer. No, I'm not. But, like, I definitely played it when I was in, like, middle school. That was, like, my big thing. I would always log on and do the quests and stuff. When I was just a baby. Just a little tot. Yeah. I was just, I didn't even know. We're going to lose so many listeners. (laughs) This is how I talk to my dog. You're just a baby. You don't even know. I know. And it rubbed off on me from when she lived with me. So now I talk to my dogs that way. My husband's like. Here's the really? thing. I caught it from our friend Liz, who has the best dumb baby voice. Yeah, she like so, she like goes up an octave. Like she can break glass when she gets super into yeah. it. It's a thing. So, what are you thankful for, Emily? Oh God. Uh, well, it was just my birthday, so I'm very thankful. You can't for- use that again. <laughs> Well, I am thankful for everyone who gave me happy birthday wishes. I just turned 29 and it's it's a little weird being in the last year of my 20s and just being a, you know, reckless 20 something. I feel like next year I need to get my shit together. Um something else I'm thankful for though. So, um I modeled at uh for some art classes this past month and the way they it was a three-night engagement and the way they did it oh, was wow. I modeled the first oh, night. Right. Yep. A guy modeled the second night, and, and for the third together, night, right? yeah, and I, I've modeled with uh, partners and men before, but I've always met them or known them beforehand, and so this was like, I just showed up, and- And there was a like, dude. Yeah, and, and I mean- like, I, get naked, stand next to him. Yeah, and I knew that's the way it was going to be, uh, but I was like very anxious about it, and- Understandably. Um, yeah, and uh, he kind of deferred to me. He's like, Aww. oh, you know, like- you just tell me what to do. You're the professional, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I don't know who keeps telling you that, but I'm not. <laughs> just accept it and move on. I did realize I've been doing this for 10 years now. Yeah, though. you're a little bit of a I, You've been I doing am. it as long as we've known each other. Yeah. Basically. Actually, sorry, we've known each other one year longer. Yeah, just like a smidgen bit longer because I started doing it when I was 19. Yeah. But, um, oh my God, I'm so old. 
But at first I was a little like irritated because I was like, I don't like telling people what to do. And I especially don't want to tell someone how to be right. when they're naked. I, I'm sure it's just because he's like, I want you to be comfortable. Well, And that's what I kind of figured. And it was nice that I was in the position of control. And obviously, like, I, I didn't tell him, well, you put your hand here and I'm going to do this. I was like, OK, let's sit facing each other and each do our own thing. Let's sit facing away from each other. You know, one person standing, one person sitting, that kind of thing. And I so you were the standing one because otherwise you're I like was. dong height. I was. <laughs> <laughs> he was facing away from me for that pose. But, but still, like, that's all I have in my head is I was like, man, that would just you'd just be staring at his dick the whole time. Yeah. No, no. But uh, it, it also so that was nice, but it was also kind of cool because I'm I'm like, OK, if we stand here and here, then that way these people on this side of the room get this, you know, the the profile and these guys get the face, you know, full frontal or, you know, whatever. And I was like, man, I have been doing this for a while. And like I'm thinking about the poses and, and you're like, thinking about the artists and how they're. Gonna, yeah, yeah. And it made really me feel cool. more professional. Aww. And actually, they've asked me back for another session yeah. in the spring. So I'm very happy. I, I really enjoy modeling. I just it's, love uh, that you have that confidence because I 1000 percent do not. Here's the really cool thing about modeling for life drawing, though. So for anyone who doesn't know, this is like artists drawing naked people. OK. And the cool thing is one no one actually cares what you look like. Like all body types, all all that is welcome and encouraged because part of me like wants to do it now that I have like scars to like see how see, they would draw that. I I have the two scars on each of my hips and there's this one artist that I used to work with a lot and she always I like drew my scars. Five scars. You do have five scars, so you've got one more yeah, to love. Scars. But uh the other thing is too it's actually given me more confidence and it's helped me to desexualize my body because I feel like in so many situations, even when I'm fully clothed, you know, you catch people staring at your boobs or doing like the up and down or you're or you're even like harassed and then assault comes, in, you know. And so to be naked in a room full of people who are not looking at you like that because they're staring at your boob because there are two light sources that right, are Right, and they're like, okay, I need like, to get the shading of this, this boob right. This fucking sucks. I don't know how to do this. Like, they're not, they're breaking you down into pieces and shapes. They're not looking at you as a, at a, as a sexual being. And I mean, being. I've seen some of the drawings and they're they're beautiful. Oh, they're so cool. And everyone's got a different style. And so it's it's a really cool experience. I'm very fortunate that I get to do it. And I'm glad that I I would just be worried that like, into ha- it. halfway through, I'd be like, God damn it, I have to pee and I have to stand here for 30 well, you more minutes. Well, you get breaks. I know, but like with my luck, I'd be like halfway through a long pose and be like, fuck, I have to pee. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And it was a uh-huh. good experience. Good. And I, because like I said, I was really nervous about modeling with someone I've never met. And yeah. it went really well. he was well. really respectful, which yeah. is great. Not buy me a drink, buy me a drink, buy me a drink. Oh, we were just talking inside about joke. that. <laughs> uh, inside horrible bar experience. Yeah. <laughs> so Kelly, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my husband for letting me buy a new toy. <laughs> no, um, I've been really wanting to like get into a new hobby. Like I read and I should write. I really need to get back into writing anyways. Um, but I've been kind of looking for a new hobby, like something to do. Like, yeah, we game, but I want to do something more like not even physical because this isn't really physical. But more crafty, I guess, is the way to do it. More creative. And so he let me go out and buy a cricket um, machine to do like die cutting and I'm really excited because I'm gonna like make cards and shit I don't know 
Yeah. You guys might even benefit from some of uh, Kelly's cricket antics. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. So yeah, I'm just I'm thankful for his support in my wanting to pursue creative things. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory, episode number 49. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Come back next week. For Please one, do. For one year. It's going to get crazy. Um, Like us on Facebook, Whining About Herstory, Instagram, WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. We have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com. They just recently redid. And email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you you know we want to hear your say their names or women in your life that are fucking killing it or even if you're just like hey i heard of this woman or even if you just want to say hey i love your show or even hey i hate your show we just want to hear from you no i don't want to hear that last one if you know thumper rules okay if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all <laughs> is that really who said that is that where that yes. came from oh. yeah it's, i always it's heard it from my parents his mom's advice he's like, it's like my mom always says if you don't have something nice to say don't say anything at all Rate us five stars wherever you listen. Please don't take that thumper impression into account. Yeah, or the baby voice. Just cut all of those things from your mind. Yes. And just think about all the wonderful women we've covered. Yeah. You're really giving them five stars. Yeah. Five stars for herstory, guys. Please. Please. Do. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.